formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. Hi, I'm Nikki. And I'm Courtney. And this is Everybody's a Suspect. The podcast where we talk about horror movies. Specifically, slashers. Yes. And what is it we're talking about this week? Uh... The sweet treat of Tony Todd, Candyman. Ugh, goodness. I was so excited to be able to sit down and watch this movie. Um, And, like, especially with what all is going on right now, you know, with um, the coronavirus. I am currently working some overtime to help out, and I do not mind that, you know, and I'm very grateful to... Still have a job um, when a lot of people don't, and I'm very grateful to be able to help out. But I, if I start yawning, I am so sorry. <laughs> um, how are you doing with all of this? It's it's okay so far. I mean, I'm lucky in the way that my work is also not really affected. Um, but again, uh, cinema is also it's for me has always been like a form of escapism. Like if I, if I'm looking for something to do, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to pop in a movie and like get lost in a story. And so it seems very appropriate for the times that I'm like zeroing in on um, Candyman this week and just other films and not just trying to, trying to think about everything else that's going on and try to keep things positive and focus on things that I enjoy. Yeah, for sure. I um, I just picked up the Blu-ray of Ready or Not, and I can't wait to pop that in nice. later this week. Because I, I have, yeah, I know. I'm so excited. I have this weekend off, so I'm going to paint this woman in um, in my hometown. She started this really cool painting project where she bought a bunch of canvases, and people can come in and pick up a canvas and um paint whatever moves them and she's gonna put them in her home and after all this is over she's gonna um get people into her home and do kind of like an in-home gallery of all these paintings that all these people in our community have done and it's so cool so shout out to Lindsay ogle you're amazing like it it this is the kind of things that we need right now um and so just shout out to her for that and I'm so excited to paint mine this weekend of course it's probably mm-hmm. gonna be something creepy because that's my vibe it should be it's what you like what I do. <laughs> yeah I was like okay gotta refrain from painting a ghost face <laughs> painting <laughs> let's not do that it's kind of funny too because like everyone's sort of saying you can take this time to like explore your creativity and create something but it, it just so happened that our podcast sort of landed um, when all this is happening, when we've been planning it for such a long time. So we kind of timed it perfectly. I know. I know. I don't remember how long we've been planning this, but yeah, it's just, you know, and for the people that don't know, we don't even live in the same state, so we're not even the same room. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so that helps. Trust me, we're trying to, even though I have to be out in public and work with the public all the time, I'm still trying to like quarantine myself mm-hmm. from other people until um, things settle down at least. And even then I might take a few extra days just to let whatever I may be carrying around just kind of settle down there. But um, yeah, 
I'm really happy that we have this podcast and that we have something to hopefully entertain people with. And I cannot wait to get into the discussion about this movie. Um, so disclaimer, though, you know, there is a big storyline about um, the relations between police and the black mm-hmm. community. Um, and I know we have talked about this before and, you know, being two, uh, white women who grew up like not supremely well off, but pretty Mm -hmm. darn well off and, you know, had comfortable lives. I think we've decided that we're not the most comfortable taking on that perspective, um, and trying to analyze that part of it, but we are working on trying to get somebody who does have that perspective and is more able to speak to it. Um, because we want to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. We really do. But I don't think it's our place to say how people in that community feel about it. <laughs> um, but we're going to be working on when the new one comes out, having an episode where we compare the new one to this to the original and we're going to hopefully have a guest who can speak to that because I also want to see what the remake will do with that storyline because it's so prevalent in today's society. Yes, it is. And hopefully the Candyman remake 2020 will be something that is still going to happen, first of all, because um, <laughs> yeah. we're not sure at this point. But it will be um, it will be interesting and it will be something to explore like you said, we're we're both um, somewhat privileged white women, so we don't really have the perspective to talk about um, some of the major themes of this movie. And it has changed because this original film was 1992, and it's the world is just a different place now. And even just watching the trailer for the uh, remake, the even the story itself is has been modernized and has changed. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens. Yeah, because honestly, I mean, we're way more aware of that relationship between the police and the Black community, but, you know, um, I don't think the relationship has actually changed. In fact, it may have gotten worse, but again, that's why we need somebody who has a perspective and grew up with that kind of perspective, Um, you know, and I don't think it's for us to say how they felt or what they felt. relations that were like back then or um, how they felt watching this movie and seeing that portrayed. So um, we will have the discussion eventually, but we'll probably wait until the remake comes out. And again, we'll have a guest on who will be able to speak to that. And that, that means a lot to us and is super important to us that we give that voice. Definitely. All right. But there is a lot to still talk about with this movie. So what was your first encounter with the film Candyman? Uh, I gotta be honest, I haven't watched it that many times. I don't really remember when I first watched it. All I know is I love Tony Todd. (laughs) I have, like, I I mean, how can you not? He's got that smooth, buttery, honey, sweet voice. Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. It's so sexy. (laughs) He's the perfect villain, or at least the perfect voice villain. I mean... Think about it, he's dead, like, the coroner in Final Destination. So, like, I don't care if he's talking about death or anything. He could narrate Edgar Allan Poe, which, I mean, I love Edgar Allan Poe, but he could narrate, like, the worst stories to me, and I just, like, 
be in heaven because <laughs> I love his voice. Um, but the fantasy men of horror movies. I know it's a problem, but that's probably why I don't <laughs> date in real life <laughs> very much. Um, but I don't remember like having a really big impression on it. I think I was. Com- used about a few things but now that I've gotten a more worldly perspective and I'm a lot older I Mm -hmm. have a way better understanding of what the movie is what it means and like what the significance of it is um, and the significance of the Candyman urban legend and how that plays into what happens with Helen um, throughout the movie Uh, what about you what was your first impression and first encounter of it Well, for me, I remember the first time I watched Candyman, it was just sort of like a film that you could watch. Like I didn't, it wasn't this big like event. I think I was in school and some of my friends were like, hey, let's just watch this movie. And I was interested in urban legends, but I wasn't super into like dissecting the story and doing all this. Like I just watched movies to watch movies. So I kind of, that's the lens that I watched Candyman through the first time, which is like with friends, it's supposed to be about like urban legends and um, of course goes into like race and society. So um, I remember liking the story, but I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I need to watch this again. I just remember, again, just the way that I've grown up, it wasn't entirely relatable. Of course, I do have to point out that though, that considering that I wrote my undergraduate thesis on patterns of violence in slasher films, I kind of uh, had a whole new lens to watch this movie from because of Helen's um, occupation where she's also examining (laughs) urban (laughs) legends. So I was kind of like, wait a minute. It's it's one of those moments where you're like, wait, why why am I identifying so much with the main character? Why? Basically, we've had two movies where you are like on point with a couple of characters. Cool. (laughs) Well, it's just, I mean, I guess I kind of brought that on myself by choosing the topic anyway. But um, but yeah, I really, really hit home this time when when Helen's like researching it. And I'm like, yeah, this is probably how I would have done it in the 90s. Of course, I, I, I do not recommend going to abandoned buildings or areas where brutal murders have happened or urban legends just disclaimer just don't do it (laughs) just don't do it (laughs) yeah that's just say no yeah uh first of all tetanus second of all just no don't do it (laughs) illegal activity hooray oh god this is how horror movies begin but we are living in a simulation i honestly think that is a really good um point though that she's white so basically she can do whatever she wants even if it's in this poor black community (laughs) like she just kind of gets away with it until the point where she does get assaulted but um we'll talk about that in a little while Uh, because there's a whole subject about the men in this movie (laughs) lots to unpack about the men in this movie oh my god i mean it's i think there's like so much checked baggage about this man like you're taking 20 damn bags off this plane right now I, it's so much to deal with 
Oh my god. Okay. So let's get into the little tidbits about this movie. It was released on October 16th, 1992, right in time for Halloween. Yes, Halloween release. Yeah, I was like two years old. <laughs> um, the budget was eight, uh, between eight and nine million. I uh, I didn't get the exact numbers on it, and but it made twenty five million point seven million, so it made almost, if not three times more than the budget. Um, mm-hmm. It was directed uh, by Bernard Rose and co-written by Rose, and based off the. Uh, short story the forbidden by clive barker who horror fans may know from the hellraiser series um it stars virginia madsen and of course tony todd uh vanessa williams xander berkeley and casey lemons yes excellent cast oh yeah for sure okay so speaking of the cast (laughs) um i think for the most part the acting in this movie was really 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 on point especially the scenes between virginia madsen and tony todd but there were a Mm -hmm. few times i felt like the supporting characters weren't bringing that energy as much as um virginia and tony were like, did you ever feel like there were some scenes where you're kind of like, nah, like this character was kind of unnecessary to be here for this? Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting because, um, like in the very beginning of the film, you've got the little blonde girl, Ugh. like, prancing Ugh. around in her virginal white bra being like, let's in the bathroom being like let's talk about urban legends like it's just so that would never happen first of all um but it's just so cringy and it's like i get that it's um it's a trope you have to establish the urban legend you have to establish situation but it was just so unnecessary or at least just it could have been acted better i guess um so that that stands out to me. It's it's just like it was just so over the top, and like it's just you just know that it was fake. Like it would not ever happen in real life, which is not necessarily what they should be trying to convey. There's a couple unnecessary acting scenes in this movie. I think. Yeah, and I think we could kind of just get into the men in this movie a little bit by starting to talk about uh, Stacy, the student played by Carolyn Lowry. Um, yes. <laughs> fucking Trevor. <laughs> I hate Trevor so much. <laughs> like, Oh, Helen, why did you marry Trevor? I mean, seriously, from the beginning of this movie, when she's in the classroom and you see him and the student uh, together, I'm, I'm going to be sorry if I call, I'm sorry if I call her the student all the time, but that's what she is she's the student she's the student (laughs) she makes me mad um but trevor fucking sucks like you can tell that he and this student have something going on like he and stacy are like have this little tete at the beginning and i'm just and you know when helen kind of jokingly confronts him about it he 
he pretty much is just like, nah, you're just making this up in your head, pretty much. And I mean, it's basically the first thing that she says when she walks into his classroom, like when the when everyone's leaving and he's there with his, the student, she like calls him on it. That's the first interaction we have between Helen and her husband is her being like, oh, you're cheating. Yeah. And, you know, if you notice her body language, and this is what I'm talking about with her acting, she goes up and she like kind of gets in front of him and purposely kisses him on the cheek in front of the um students and calls him hi she says hi husband and like basically like claiming her territory which was kind of the first indication that these two do not have a secure marriage yeah yeah um but this is not the only instance in this movie where you're just like oh trevor jesus trevor um he gaslights her often (laughs) Mm mm-hmm She's always, you know, he comes home at like 3 a.m. Oh, where have you been? Oh, I've been working on a project or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, sure, man. Sure. A project in your pants, but okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, she's going through some shit in this movie. Like a lot of shit. And he is not supportive of her like at all. Even when, you know, there are those scenes where you think, oh, maybe he's going to stop what he's doing with the student and be there for her. He doesn't. And it's quite the opposite, actually. Also, I think part of that is intentional in a way because um, him sort of not being supportive or being um, against her kind of feeds into her paranoia about Mm -hmm. like what's real, what's not real. And also um, it sort of speaks to Helen's relationship with the Candyman and how like connected to each other the two are. So I think Mm -hmm. as awful as Trevor is, he sort of is also essential to the story. And he's like not, he's clearly not like a loving husband that cares about her. So she's not really losing anything. True. And it's really sad when you're rooting and shipping for the guy that's a dead like demon thing with and he's missing a hand and just has like a hook yeah. in his bloody stump over a real life human being. So Yes. <laughs> um let's talk about the scene when she comes back from the mental hospital and she goes to the apartment. Mm-hmm. And first of all, Stacy the student is there painting it pink. Girl, get a life. Don't paint it pink. Here's the thing, though, about this. She's the color pink. She chose the color pink. Okay, Bernadette was killed in the apartment. There was lots of blood. It was very gory. It was awful. And then, after everything happens, student decides to paint the walls pink. Pink! I think that's... Okay, if we think about it, it says kind of how young she is, though, at least when I think back to my college days. Um, you know, a lot of girls, their entire dorms were either pink or they were purple. Like, it was mm-hmm. decked out in pink and purple. So I think that was purposeful to, like, kind of show her age. And, um, you know, pink is for girls, and it's a very, like, and it was a soft pink too, which makes mm-hmm. you think of youth and like baby. So she's really young. So I get it, but ugh. 
Oh. Yeah, I was supposed to make her seem so much younger because Helen is walking back into the apartment thinking, oh, Trevor's going to be there. And nope, she's there too. Ugh, right. And Helen's like, yeah, I fucking knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and again, he gaslights her and is like, we should try to get you back into the mental hospital. And when she basically like threatens them from um, calling and the student's like, Trevor, Trevor. I do like that too because even though she has come back into the apartment after her month-long stint uh, she comes in and immediately assesses the situation the student just starts screaming and Trevor comes in and Helen really sort of takes back her agency where she doesn't freak out she doesn't start yelling she even when she does go to grab the phone she doesn't say anything she just holds it out like here take it from me call the police and you can just see they're both like absolutely terrified of her and she has all the power and it's like that's where the shift has come where where the whole movie she's been like the paranoid one like everyone thinks she's this murderer and then at this point she's like no i'm good like Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't even worry about it final girl in action oh for sure and Mm -hmm. you know i think you said a good word agency you know she didn't have any and she didn't know she didn't have any for an entire month and Mm -hmm. you know trevor gaslighting her and basically every man in this movie basically is gaslighting her or putting her down or being condescending and she's just like you know what fuck that i'm taking my shit back and i'm gonna prove y'all wrong and she does Speaking of horrible men, the head of the department. Oh, yes. Ugh. Like, seriously, have you ever sat at a table with a man and, like, you are a full-on expert about your subject and then it starts? The mansplaining. And for those of you who hate that word, it is a real thing. That's why we use that word. It is yes. a real thing. And the way he was talking to her about the Candyman story. Oh, oh you're going to do it? I did it 10 years ago. I'm the expert. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like apparently not because you didn't do anything with the damn story. It is. It's good, though, too, because he's so like cocky about it. Like, Oh, I know everything and you don't. And it sort of sets up the scene where like, clearly she's going to go figure it out and actually meet the Candyman and prove you wrong. So it's almost like a setup, which is kind of nice, but yeah, again, they have to, they have to give that real world world situation of, yes, this is actually what happens to Helen is like this academic scholar. She gets like cut down by some man who thinks he knows better. Right. And you know, she takes that next step, which I mean, I know I understand why it encourages her to go to Cabrini Green and really investigate all of this. And I get it. It's just very frustrating and relatable to watch. (laughs) I do really like, though, how they got the um, the friend of the cleaning lady to, to tell the story the first time. Um, cause it, it, I mean, they could have chosen anybody, but, but they chose like someone that actually lives in Caprini Green mm-hmm. and has like experienced it. So Helen doesn't just like decide one day she's going to go. Like she actually talks to this woman and, um, connects with her and they have that moment of like, um, I just want this information that you have. Can you tell me? And she explains it. 
And so it's there's like no men involved in that, yeah. which was nice. Exactly. And um, you know, she and um Bernie, they take it upon themselves to go investigate and really be a part of it. And Helen is not giving up no matter what. And no. this is when um they meet Anne Marie. Yes. Anne Marie and her baby. Yes, which comes into play majorly. So when we get the story of the Candyman, we find out he was a scholar. Uh, he was really creative and had a penchant for painting. And so he was hired to paint a portrait of this, um, was it a reverend's daughter or something like that? I think it was a wealthy landowner. Because it was like nineteen or 1890. Yeah. And... Uh, a wealthy landowner to capture his daughter's virginal beauty. First of mm-hmm. all, I get the times. Yes. I get it. Virginal beauty. Let's not do that anymore. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they fell in love and she became pregnant. And obviously this was like not a time when black men and white women could be together or vice versa. Like mixed relationships were not a thing. And they were not, not welcomed. So, you know, he had a brutal beat down and death where they cut off his hand. That's where we get the hook and the, the stump with the hook. Um, and then, you know, they smashed the hive and of a they smashed a hive that was nearby, stole the honeycomb and smeared it all over his naked body. And he was stung to death by bees, um, you know, but going back to her becoming pregnant that's why babies are so significant in this story um and you know it doesn't really say what happened to her but you know he never got to have that child with his love he never got to experience that and you know he even says in the beginning of the movie um sorry looking through my notes they will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? So he doesn't have much of a qualm with, as we saw in the beginning of the movie, killing babies. That's true. I wonder if this baby was different. Because one, this was a black baby. <laughs> Um, and two, if this was a baby, if it was because this was a baby that Helen interacted with. Right. I mean, I think you're, you're onto something there just because he does spend so much time with the child, or at least he ha- he's the one who knows the whereabouts of the child the most. And Helen's the one that has to, um, go and si- try to save the baby because, because the whole film, he's you know, when it goes back to the whole supernatural element of, like, he and Helen are meant to be together, mm-hmm. the baby's sort of, like, the missing piece because he did have the relationship and they did have a child. And so he's sort of, like, trying to recreate the family that he didn't get to have. Right. And, uh, you know, he he takes the baby and doesn't kill this one, whereas he massacred mm-hmm. the other one in the beginning right. of the movie. This one is, is different because... Yeah. 
of Helen's interactions with it. Yeah, because she wants children. And so he knows she will do anything to save this child. Um, And, you know, he And she does. Yeah, she does. And when they're inside the pyre before it gets lit on fire, uh, she's holding on to the baby and he grabs her and is holding her so tight that she and the baby can't escape. Um, so it's like he has his family right there in his hands or hand and hook, whatever. Right. Um, but he has them right there. And so to get to that point though, we had to see Helen go through literally hell and back into hell again. And all in quite honestly parallel a lot of the themes that happened in Candyman's origin story. Absolutely. Try to think. The f- the first murder was the dog. Can we stop killing dogs in horror movies? Signed, a dog owner. <laughs> I oh, I you know what? Honestly, I get way more upset when animals die in movies than humans. <laughs> I don't know what this is about me, but I, like, I don't like seeing a dog's head on the floor. <laughs> yeah, just be aware that that. An animal does die in Candyman. And we see the aftermath. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, But, you know, the first death is the dog. And, you know, the police come in on her and Anne-Marie wrestling. And um, Helen cuts Anne-Marie with the meat cleaver. And, you know, so this is the first time... Doubt has been cast on her. And, and she's also on top of Anne-Marie and she's holding the meat yeah. cleaver over her. So it looks right. like she is the one who's attacking Anne-Marie. So yeah. to- rightfully, the police believe that she is the murderer, which which they also tell her when they're interrogating her. is You're a murderer. And I do appreciate the fact that they allowed the cop to become a significant character to this story. Like, he's the one investigating this because it's his territory. You know, he's the one that, after she was brutally attacked and assaulted in the bathroom, that he's the one that helped her. Um, but, yeah, uh, she, like, I appreciate that he's in there. And then you get to see him being the, it, it seems like he feels so betrayed by her. Oh, absolutely. Because, like you said, she goes into the, the restroom and is attacked and he's the one that helps her the the uh the police are the ones that that help her and and try to get justice for her against her attackers the the people that are pretending to be Candyman. and then like not even a lot of time goes by and suddenly she's being arrested for murder and where's the baby and it's like it's like hey wait a minute we we were helping you you know, this white woman that walked into the projects and now you're, you know, you, 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 you took a baby. Like there's, there's genuine anger there. Yeah. And, you know, it starts, you know, we start doubting Helen and Mm -hmm. let's talk about the lighting for a little bit, because if you notice throughout the film, they use, especially on her, quite a bit of split lighting, especially on her face. Yeah, which typically, for people that don't know lighting techniques, split lighting is basically one half of the face is a little bit 
more in the light and then one half the faces tends to be more in shadow, like pretty much right down the middle, mm-hmm. um, which is supposed to indicate secrets or this person is hiding something, um, sort of duality thing. So it starts to make sense. Um, do you remember this scene where she's sitting and talking to Jake and she's got that um, pattern from the bars on the window on her face that kind of shrouds her like a veil? Yes. Like, how did you how did you feel about the use of lighting in this film? I mean, it was really intentional. Like you were saying how they um, how they show lighting on her face and how it how everything about like the framing of the scene and the lighting and um, even the look on her face is like supposed to help this, this idea that she's becoming maybe more paranoid or more um, just, just changing overall as a character. And even like a lot of the the places where she goes are dark, but there always seems to be some sort of light on Helen or even like almost above her like especially when she goes and she sees uh or when you see Helen's face on the wall and you realize that she's supposed to be um the white woman that was with the candy man it was always you Helen yes like <laughs> that that whole parallel of like she is her and that's why she must be with the candy man her light the light is very specifically making her almost look angelic and it right. feeds again to this whole idea of like immortality and supernatural and how how mm-hmm. they're they're in this like vicious circle of everything is the same and they're meant to be together and it's supposed to be the Candyman and Helen and this child that they've taken. So the lighting is incredibly intentional. It and not just because she's more well lit than the than the uh, like areas around her or the the room that she's in or the people that she's with. It's just, um, it's always incredibly intentional. I think it's pretty effective in enhancing the story, especially if you understand, like, are we supposed to doubt Helen? Did she actually kill a dog? Did the Candyman possess her and kill her? Or Mm -hmm. did he hypnotize her into doing that? Did he, um, you know, or did she just go a little crazy and do this on her own? And so it really comes into play with that. And, you know, lighting ironically was used to foreshadow. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, because now that I think about it, the only time she was like incredibly, like completely lit, there was no darkness is when she's in the insane asylum and she's not calm. She's freaking out because the candy man is there and she's struggling against her Mm -hmm. bonds and trying to tell them. And there's no darkness. Like even the Candyman, you can fully see him and his hook and and all the blood that's on her and stuff while he's like floating above her. And it's the only time in the film where she's just like hysterical and you can see everything. Whereas in the whole rest of the movie, there's always some element of like shadow or darkness or um, uncertainty that leads to the story. Whereas like when she's committed, it's like, this is the end. What's like, she's not getting out of this. So it's again, it's it's really intentional. Yeah, and, you know, uh, going back to the men in this movie, you know, I get that, um, you know, 
know, they work in a mental hospital and everything, but that orderly who, when she goes, oh, where are we going? And she's in, she's fully aware of herself in that moment. And, you know, she's got her wits about her and everything. And this guy just goes, we're going to Disneyland, like super condescending, which I mean, I know he doesn't have to be nice to her because everybody thinks she's a dog killer or a murderer and a kidnapper. But at the same time, can we not? And I think also mental patients deserve more respect than that. They do. I mean, again, I think his role is just to point out just another, he's just another man that is, you know, being like, oh, it's like everything's over for you. You're not going to get out of this. And it's just... Let me just and, say this. And the stereotype of society. Yeah. yeah, let me just say this. It's not necessarily all the men in this movie. The detective is awesome. Of course, we all love Jake. Jake is great. You know. Little boy. Uh-huh. And um But overall the men suck in this movie. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Oh. I don't know a lot of men who act like these guys do. I could never ever date a Trevor. Again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of it is um, set up to improve the story as a whole, but it's not always the best thing to be watching. Right. Um, but I guess it does kind of make you root for the Candyman a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish there were a little bit more death in this movie. But um, in... I am kind of sad that Bernie died. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, you knew it was coming, obviously. She's the black character that wasn't listened to by the white people. And as we all know, it's a horror trope. That character is going to die. Right. And she's also like Helen's only real support. Yeah, she's her only ally. Yeah, because at that point in the story no one like no one believes her not even Trevor not anybody but then like Bernadette shows up with like flowers to visit her and then ends up brutally murdered and not by Helen by the candy but by the candy (laughs) yes yeah and like like the candy man said at the beginning of the movie what is innocent blood what is it you know Mm -hmm. is it just children babies who can't fend for themselves but even then are they innocent do they pay for the sins of the father because Bernadette was also innocent blood because she didn't deserve to die and the candy man killed her even though everyone thinks Helen did so again it was like another instance of innocent blood being spilt yeah but I also think that was to isolate Helen even more to keep her going down this path to get her to immortality which um Oh, absolutely. What was your first encounter with not the Candyman urban legend necessarily, but urban legends in general? Um, not the movie, but the actual like concept. <laughs> we'll talk about the movie at some point, I'm sure. Um, I think just when I was a kid, um, like with my friends, someone was um, like we were we were like just hanging out, and someone was like have you heard this urban legend or have you heard this story? And, and it became this 
like thing to pass the time was to like talk about the urban legends or there was like a spooky house on the street and mm-hmm. it became this it became this idea so there's not I don't have like a specific like oh I heard about this urban legend um like I didn't really I, ne- I was never a person that like learned about Bloody Mary really I I actually learned about that from like mm-hmm. watching tv um oh, really? so most of my most of my like information on urban legends came from like watching films I don't have a lot of like real world stuff where people are like hey did you hear about this urban legend I just did not that did not happen yeah I remember I think my first one was Bloody Mary and it still still scares me though I you know it creeps me out um but don't own lots of mirrors (laughs) I don't luckily there's one that's like right outside my bathroom so if I'm not paying attention at night and I walk out of my bathroom into my hallway it's like right in front of my door to my bathroom and I'm just like, oh my God, what the hell? <laughs> what the That's hell was that? Fun. Oh, it's just me. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. And also another disclaimer, do not watch this movie if you hate bees. Oh, no, no, no. There's because so there are lots bee. of bees. Lots There's of bees. so much bee action. <laughs> yes. But don't kill bees, please. They're so yeah, important. They actually, the production actually, um, they specifically bred bees for this movie because they they needed like mature bees, like bees that mm-hmm. actually looked like they were real bees, not just like CGI. Because again, this is early '90s. Um, but they also needed the bees to be really young because the their stingers wouldn't be as intense. Because you know, Tony Todd especially is like spends a portion of the film covered in bees. And he was actually stung um, about 23 times <laughs> over the filming of all of these movies. And he he also put it in his contract when he was hired that anytime he was stung by a bee, he would get an additional $1,000. That's smart. Because he was That's allowing smart. it to happen. So, so yeah. bees are very central to the story. So if you do not like bees, don't like being stung, are allergic to bees, just maybe yeah. take a second. But also... Bees are incredibly important to the story as a whole. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, I do, because that was bugging me. I, I just kept dwelling on the concept of why were bees included in this urban legend? What's so important about bees? Bees, bees, bees. So I was looking it up a little bit, and it turns out in, uh, I think it's Celtic mythology, that bees are the messenger between uh our realm and the spirit realm and you know it's interesting because bees are a community insect and Candyman was betrayed by his community yeah and there is such a strong sense of community at Cabrini Green especially when at the end when they all go out to watch the pyre burn um they really mean a lot um, as far as spirituality and being that messenger between the worlds. But I also saw that um, when you look into bees, um, if you need support for fertility issues, let bee energy into your reality. So that's interesting with the theme of the children and the importance of the children to Candyman's story. So it makes much more sense to me now why why bees of all insects? Like, why not spiders? Why not 
I don't know. What's another creepy, like, not that spiders are insects, they're arachnids, I know, but. But just any sort of, like, bugs or. Yeah. Creepy crawlies or something. Because I've never found bees that scary, so I guess I just didn't see it, um, why they were so important until I looked this up. And now this gives me a whole new perspective on this movie Mm -hmm. and how deep it goes to portray this urban legend yeah it really feeds into the um immortality and it's just it's like another layer to the film whereas you watch it and you just think oh bees creepy but then you actually know why bees are in the film other than it's part of the urban legend and you go oh this is really intentional it's it's another layer to the film Mm -hmm. yeah and you know going to immortality you know, the reason I asked about urban legends in the first place was, you know, there's this belief in urban legend culture that the more people that believe in it, the more real it seems and the Mm -hmm. more um, it becomes real. You know, Supernatural did an episode on this and it was a really well done episode about believing in this urban legend. And if people believed in this stuff hard enough as fact and enough people believed in it, it became true. So they had to adapt and fight this urban legend as, um, you know, by putting this information online and getting people to buy this story about it. And I think that is the same thing here because Candyman says, oh, the stories weren't enough for you, so I had to come. You're making my believers not believe. And the first one that Helen influences to not believe and tells the Candyman's not real is Jake. And in anybody's, I don't think anybody's belief is stronger than a child's. Oh, absolutely. Like, if you go back to Santa Claus culture and Mm -hmm. um everything like that you know a child when they believe their belief is stronger than most anything um it's just a different energy yeah and you know again innocence the innocent believe in him Mm -hmm. um and so he's essentially immortal because everybody believes in this legend so much and he wants helen to join him because he never got to be with his love. He was brutally attacked for loving and for essentially being innocent. And now he has Helen, you know, it was always you, Helen. Mm -hmm. And he wants her to come on that journey with him and basically says, they're going to believe in you too. Mm -hmm. And the only she's innocent of all the murders because candy mended them. Right. And, you know, they're going to believe in the legend. They're going to believe in your crimes or our crimes. And I think this feeds into we really need to talk about the ending really quick. Yeah, because I also think going off of um, how you how you she how Helen convinces like Jake to believe the ending is really interesting, too, because. Trevor also changes his belief. Right. Fucking Trevor. <laughs> yeah. Useless the first time. Because, I mean, the first time I watched it, I didn't really see it as being intentional when the scene when he's in the bathroom and he's saying Helen's name. Um, 
because he's like clearly in distress he clearly misses her he realizes after like remembering their like happy marriage in the early days that she's really gone and he's stuck with the whiny student um but but he, he just starts saying her name and i remember thinking oh he just misses her and then she appears and i went wait he's starting to believe like everything that she was saying and believing in this legend and he's the one that brings her back by saying her name and looking in the mirror right and i at first didn't think it was intentional either until he goes until his tone changes and he like stares into the mirror right at the end and the only reason i think she can appear like the candy man did is because people believed the story and believed in her like they believed in the candy man and, um, you know, at least Cabrini Green got their closure and forgave her and realized it probably wasn't her mm-hmm. because they found Right, the because book. they, they like, essentially added her to the Candyman's urban legend. Yeah. The whole residence of Cabrini Green. And, like, and I think Trevor and, and saw that when everybody showed up at her funeral and, like, even Jake, like, dropping the hook in the, in the uh, ground. He was like, wait, there are actually people that believe her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not sure if he would have attended her funeral had he not believed her on some level. I, I don't know if I want to give him enough credit for that, but <laughs> I think at some point, because she fought so hard to save that baby, that um, they finally had to believe that she wouldn't do the things that they were that people were saying she did. Right, that was her redemption, was saving the baby. It was like, it doesn't matter what she got accused of. Her final act was this heroic thing of saving the, yeah. the child from the pyre. Yeah. And you think, oh, maybe she'll survive her burns. Maybe she'll survive. Nope, the next shot is her of her in a casket. Can I just say, though, one of my favorite things about the scene where she, she crawls into the fire because mm-hmm. um, she can hear the baby crying is the way the sound is used because throughout the whole movie, there isn't like a ton of music. There isn't a ton of sound, but especially in the scenes where like the baby is missing, you hear the, just the baby crying. You don't even necessarily see the baby, but you just hear it crying. And it's a really significant sound throughout the entire film. And then when Helen hears it towards the end of the film and she realizes that he's in the pyre and she's like climbing through everything trying to get to him you hear that you hear the baby crying and then when the residents come out and uh the bonfire starts obviously they there's other noise there's the fire going you hear the the people yelling and screaming and at this point helen has found the baby but then the candy man grabs them and and has his hand over her mouth so she can't scream and so uh although she eventually gets away from him and and tries to crawl to safety with the baby, no one can hear her screaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they just see her crawl out with the baby and they're like, Oh wait, she was in there. Right. And they just kind of stand there stunned, which I mean, I don't know how I would react if I saw a woman with a baby crawling out of a funeral Mm -hmm. pyre with her whole entire head and back on fire. But they did try to put her out, though. They did. <laughs> Kudos to them. Um, but she fought hard to get mm-hmm. out of that, too. And I think, you know, she's not 
I think that's what they realized that she was so innocent of everything is because of how hard she fought and how she was willing to sacrifice herself to save that baby and save Anne Marie's baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I don't think had it been for that redemption, she would have been able to come back when Trevor called her name five times. Right. The people are what made her real or made her part of the urban legend so that she could return. Yeah, which goes back to that thing that I was talking about with urban legend culture, that the more people that believe in it, the stronger it becomes as a legend. Um, Definitely. And then, thank God she kills him. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm actually quite fine that Helen ends up killing Trevor. Um, and also it sort of goes back to the whole idea of like innocent blood, because obviously when the student, when she's in the kitchen making the dinner and she's got like the the butcher knife in her hand and then she she uh basically hears trevor die and goes into the bathroom and just starts screaming her head off like she's screaming the police are going to show up and she's still got this knife in her hand with the dead body like obviously they're going to think she did it because there's nobody else in the apartment oh my gosh this just occurred to me but do you think they'll end up pinning the rest of the murders on the student No. Really? Because I wonder if that would be a, like they could trace it back to her motive of trying to be with Trevor and, you know, maybe Cabrini Green convinced Mm. the cops that Helen couldn't have done all of this and that she was being set up. So maybe the student is the one that set her up and maybe she would get framed for all of the murders that the Candyman did. I mean, maybe, but, like, she had absolutely no involvement in the disappearance of the baby, though, because they caught Helen, like, attacking Anne-Marie, or at least on top of her with the knife. But I can see where why you'd think that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Might it's possible, reach, I guess. But... One of those things we'll never know, which is why we have to talk about it on a podcast. Yeah. It's nice to debate the ideas, though. Yeah. Um... I still keep calling her the student. It's Stacy. Stacy's the character. I mean, do they even? I mean, I think they tell us her name once. That's why we. She's so insignificant. We don't even get her name a lot. Yeah, the only reason she's significant is because she's why Trevor isn't there for Helen, and mm-hmm. it's so sad that the only man that is really there for Helen is the Candy Man. It is, but again, it's also somewhat intentional because they're trying to foster right. the relationship of like, yeah. oh, these two people are in love. And one of the things I, I really love is, or find interesting, is that Virginia Madsen actually agreed to be hypnotized and given like a trigger fr- phrase um, for her scenes with the Candyman so that she would react more and even like, almost not, not necessarily be like in love with him, but but that like in her mind would just like subconsciously be drawn to him to the point where she was, she got so uncomfortable with it that they had to stop because Mm -hmm. like, again, it's like messing with her mind. And also her and Tony Todd actually took ballroom dancing lessons together. So there, there was like even more familiarity. Like obviously they don't dance in this movie, but there's like a familiarity there. Um, that has like sort of a romantic connotation that doesn't ex- that she doesn't have with any other character. Yeah. Well, I mean, they kind of do not sort of 
but um, you know, right before he kisses her and he's telling her about the immortality aspect of it, but mm-hmm. yeah, like it is a romance and not one that you would expect. I just I find it interesting what you would perceive this movie to be before seeing it and then what your reaction was to what you actually got. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about this movie, you don't expect a romance element. No, you don't. And it's the purpose of it. It is the purpose of this movie because she is the, I'm betting she's the reincarnation of his love. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the main points uh, when they show, like, Helen's, the mural of Helen's face, like, like she's so clearly supposed to be with the Candyman. And that's, again, also why she's, like, another reason she's added into the legend is because they're supposed to be, like, together mm-hmm. forever. Yeah, and they got that, and their love is immortal now. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing that I noticed going back again to your idea of like urban legends and how people have to believe is um, how significant mirrors are in the story and even like in the framing. (laughs) Because even like when you're when you're filming a movie, filming something in a mirror is not easy, obviously, because you you can't have the camera and, and the crew and everything in the mirror. So that's like its own challenge. But um, again, like the opening scene where the the ditzy blonde is like, hey, let's, did you hear about this urban legend? And she's like looking into the mirror and you can see the guy behind her framed into the shot. And she starts saying Candyman. And even like our first real appearance of Candyman, we don't get like a good look at him. But um, just the idea that he would like be in the bathroom with her when she's like saying when Helen is saying Candyman for the first time because she's not even sure that like she necessarily believes but then like nothing happens mm-hmm. um and then also again at the end like Trevor when he's uh he doesn't initially even look into the mirror when he says Helen's name it isn't until the final time and then of course we have the framing shot where he's looking into the mirror and he sees her uh, there in the bathroom with her like it's just um like mirrors are again essential to the story um yes. and even uh, and even uh the parts where when helen initially goes to cabrini green and she has to crawl through where the bathroom mirror would be to get to the apartment um is significant because she's essentially entering the mirror she's entering the world of this urban legend she's she's really doing it so um it's just it's there's like all these different ways that the the idea of the mirror was was integrated into the story and it just shows the importance of it to the story yeah and mirrors in spiritual meaning reflect truth Mm -hmm. so it, it shows you who you really are and she's going through that mirror or that what would be that mirror to find essentially find the truth and discover the truth um so and, you know, speaking of urban legends, we've got two main ones that are fill like that fill this story, and it's the Hookman and Bloody Mary. Yep. And, you know, Bloody Mary, you say it three times in front of a mirror, she appears and she'll kill you. <laughs> um 
and then you know you've got the hook man but that one was more um hit, like you know the hook and the car door thing so i don't I think the Bloody Mary was more significant because it was about the truth and what the truth was, what's happening to these residents of Cabrini Green and what's hap- what happened to the Candyman, what's happening to these people that Helen's like that Helen's around. What's what's happening? What's the truth here? And, you know, you're right. Mirrors play such an importance in that. Can't have an urban legend without a mirror. Well, you can't, but not in Candyman. Yeah, you can't have this one without a mirror. Um, because the truth is everything. The truth means everything in this movie. And too many, you know, and I think that something, again, that I'm going to say even from last week when we were talking about Scream, horror doesn't get enough credit for being brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's very metaphorical. It has lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of layers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, I think, think, it's oh just people getting maimed and murdered and no it there's so much more that goes into it like in this movie like all of the spiritual meaning behind everything and all the decisions that were made and um you know from the lighting like we talked about the sound and you know the idea of immortality and innocence and all the things that circle together and come together to make this great movie it is a great movie overall i don't really understand how it only has like a 6.7 on (laughs) imdb but whatever um well again you have to like know about all these things we're talking about and enjoy watching it sometimes you can just watch this film and oh it's a scary movie with bees okay but it's not even that scary. That's the thing. I mean, yes, it does have, like, I think three major jump scares. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, and a even, clever use of sound. Yeah. But even Bernadette's murder isn't on screen. We just see the aftermath of it. There's not really anybody that we get a full on... Actually, there's nobody we get an on-screen death for. It's all... You see the initial or, like, the right before the initial um, moment of the kill, but then you only really see the aftermath. Yeah, we only get to see Helen's reaction to it. Yeah. Well, even uh, Trevor's death, we only see the aftermath. We don't get to see Helen actually kill Trevor. Right, So Because that's not what's important. It's the aftermath. It's what happens after. It's what people believe. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm actually glad of all the people that Bernadette got a um, off-screen death because, you know, she did not deserve an on-screen one. <laughs> like, that would have been awful. Um, I kind of hope that the remake also takes into account the importance of the aftermath over the um, actual on-screen deaths because sometimes on-screen deaths take away from... The meaning of the kill. Now, right. I'm not going to sit here and say all of horror does this. Like, and I think you can attest to this as somebody who's actually like studied the, this franchise. But Friday the 13th, <laughs> especially when you get into the later movies, those deaths are not meaningful. <laughs> and there's not a lot of meaning that goes into them anymore. 
Yeah, there's a reason I analyzed the original film and the remake. Because as there are more films in a franchise, they have different directors, they have different writers, they have different actors, and it's just a different story. Yeah, it's not one that continued on, unlike some of the other franchises. Yeah. Um, but again, there are several horror movies that I think do better than a lot of these movies that get nominated for Oscars um, or recognized at the big events and big award shows. And they won't get recognized because people don't see that brilliance in them. And, you know, I get it. When you write reviews, you don't have a lot of time to sit there and think about that meaning. And when you release it and everything, and, you know, like if it comes to the point where we're starting to give reviews on stuff, you know, we're going to have a very limited time to do our research after the movie. And there are some things that we may not think about, you know, whereas Candyman is one that we've seen a few times and that we've been able to sit down and analyze, you know, because we have a schedule. But, you know, I do wish there were more horror critics in the mainstream media to give horror the chance that it deserves. And, you know, we, we saw a little bit of that with Get Out in Jordan Peele, Mm-hmm. but then we went backwards it's better than it was when the original C- Candyman came out mm-hmm. so that's something yeah um, but it can always get better yeah and I just really wish that we could I don't know Again, it's hard when you don't sit and read all of the interviews with the filmmakers and you don't sit down and listen to the audio commentary. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I hope that we're finding some of the truth within this filmmaking and what's going on in this movie. And, you know, and again, film is one of those subjective things where you could realize what the significance of everything is and still hate this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Or you're going to love it and not know what any of it means. So I don't th- necessarily think people have to read into the meaning of it. But I think for those that are on the fence, it helps determine how you feel about the movie. Um, you know, it definitely helped me like this movie a lot more. And I probably give it an eight and a half or a nine because of how deep it goes. Um, whereas before I was like, eh, maybe, you know, I can kind of agree with a seven. All right. But now I'm just like, yeah, this is a brilliantly well-made film. Yeah, and again, because this movie came out in 1992, there is lots of information about it and how it was made and um, the themes they chose to explore between, like, Mm -hmm. race and social issues and even, like, casting choices, like, why they picked the cast, that sort of thing. Like, all this information that we have that we can talk about Whereas, like, with the remake of Candyman, we don't know yet because it's not out. We only have the trailer and maybe, like, a couple of people who are involved. Um, But, again, that's subjective. We only have, like, their previous work to go on or, like, the previous story that exists. Yeah, and I'm really excited that um, we're getting who we're getting for the remake because I think they're going to handle this story and handle it well. You know, again, there's that sensitive issue of the relations between um, 
the black community and the white community specifically cops and um I think having black filmmakers at the helm, especially a woman who can handle the Helen part of the storyline, it's going to help enhance the story for modern times. And I'm really excited to see how it is handled. And this is definitely a film I'll be going to see in theaters. I mean, hopefully um, we'll get to see that this year, you know, with everything going on. And the theater's shutting down for a little while, but um, I do. I'm really looking forward to when this this will happen. Yeah, it's definitely going to be exciting to see uh, what they do with the story and how they modernize it. And it's going to be lots of fun to talk about that and talk about um, the differences in the story, the differences in the movies, the differences in how the world is today. I mean, we could just we could sit here for like hours and just analyze every little thing. But of course, that movie is not out yet. So knock on wood, we get to see it this summer. And I'm sure we will talk about it again. Yeah. Well, see, I would knock, but Chandler's already barking a lot. So (laughs) and I would knock, but my microphone is on the table. So that would be super loud. Yeah. And to those of you that can hear my dog in the background, I'm very sorry. He's a Sheltie, and if you've ever owned a Sheltie, you know sometimes it's really hard to get them to stop barking. (laughs) It is bark time. Yeah. But I, what are you, I think it's, we've had such a good discussion. I think it's time for final thoughts. Um, because like I said, we'll get into the story about race relations once the um, the new movie comes out. But what are your final thoughts on Candyman? My final thoughts for Candyman um, are that I thought it was a good film. I mean, obviously, watching it much more recently, I have a lot more knowledge to pull from and a lot, a lot of which we've talked about. Um, but I do really appreciate just from like a cinematography point of view, the way that uh, scenes were framed the way that characters were framed the use of lighting how intentional it was um, even some acting choices and dialogue choices I just think it was really well um, everything really lined up together to really do everything from like feeding Helen's paranoia to her um, to her being able to like prove her innocence or or just be herself and show the world like what she who she really is and she's not this horrible murderer and even like the way that the candy man was introduced it wasn't it was like a very slow draw out you don't even see him fully until like a good portion of the movie has happened um, right. i think it's like the 45 minute mark before you actually get to see him yeah, yeah it's a really drawn out villain but you do hear his voice occasionally and and that's again it goes back to like the <laughs> impressive use of sound between like his voice like the talent can hear or the baby crying or even like there's occasionally even like some almost angelic piano music going on especially when she saves the baby um everything was just very intentional um and it's almost like a really cerebral movie where you can just like go back and watch it and see like yeah. little things that you missed and little even things about like the death or like especially like when when you mentioned that Bernadette was killed off screen but we see Helen's reaction it was so intentional in the way that like we're supposed to see this devastation of like this is it like she's lost 
Bernadette. She's lost her support. There's no one that's going to believe her. This is like this turning point in the movie. Everything was just really well planned in this film. Um, so I just, I really enjoyed it overall. Yeah. Okay. So going back to one thing you said, I know they said these were final thoughts, but one really mm-hmm. quick thing. Use of sound. Do you think it would have been as effective if Tony Todd wasn't the candy man? because of his voice do you think no that- i mean i i think part of that was was they knew what they were doing with the voice i mean initially he wasn't tony todd wasn't even actually like the first choice to be Candyman. Boo. um he was actually <laughs> chosen because he's six five he's so tall <laughs> so he he has to be this like imposing presence especially the scene in like the parking garage where him and Helen are like on opposite sides. Um, You can even tell he has this like towering demeanor, but his voice really makes several of the scenes because it is just so unique. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And um, because I I was just thinking about that and I don't think it would have been as effective if it wasn't Tony Todd, because like you said, his voice makes these scenes in a different voice could have broken them but yeah he's absolutely fantastic um and you know i again one thing that i look at is costuming i appreciate that helen was basically an all white the entire movie or like off white pretty much the entire movie and mm-hmm. i you know that goes back to her innocence and her being the angelic being and you know, the only times she wasn't covered in white is when she was covered in blood. <laughs> um, you know, so that made you question it. And it just, it's so brilliant. It was so well put together. All of the different things and themes and the spiritual meanings. It just works as a film. So it's definitely an eight and a half or a nine out of ten for me. And I, I really encourage everybody who's listening to go back and revisit this movie. Um, and if you didn't see these themes before or you didn't think about these things, um, you know, let us know what you think now about it. And do you have a different perspective on this movie? Do you have a different meaning for this movie? Um, let's continue the discussion. Yeah. I mean, this movie is so much more than what it seems to be on the surface and while people might not seem it's may not think it's scary per se it has so much meaning and it's a really great example of why horror is such an awesome genre yes well i think that is a wrap on candy man woo woo ah This was such a fun discussion. I'm glad we got to discuss this movie. But Courtney, what are we discussing next week? Next week, we are talking about Final Destination. Where death is the killer. Yes, lots and lots of death scenes to talk about. And Rube Goldberg. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, gosh. But in the meantime, in between this episode and that one, you can reach out to us on our Instagram at EAS Podcast 
or on our Facebook at Everybody's a Suspect Podcast. Or you can find us on Twitter at Everybody's a Sus One. Or you can email us at Everybody's a Suspect at gmail.com. And really quick, third disclaimer. Twitter made us shorten the name. That's why it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, we did not pick that. So thanks, Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> thanks, Twitter. It's cool. But yes, if you guys didn't know, you can listen to us on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify now. We're so excited. Whoop, whoop. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And we will see you next week for Final Destination. Bye, guys. Bye.